grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Jesus 
replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. When Jesus had finished praying and they had sung a hymn, he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove, a place called Gethsemane. Jesus and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. On reaching the place, Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He withdrew about a stone's throw, knelt down and fell on the ground, and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but yours be done. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Returning to the disciples the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? 
Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of our God. The word of God for our meditation this evening is Matthew's account of Jesus' trial before the high priest. I'll read it as it's recorded, Matthew 26, verses 57 all the way through 75. Those who had Jesus arrested took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Nazareth, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father. From his Son, our suffering Savior, Jesus. Amen. God is on trial. And there's false testimony everywhere. As I said, that's the theme for our midweek messages this year. God on trial. And it's an apt description of what was going on in the verses I just read. God was literally on trial. God took on human flesh and came down from heaven, and, and yet rather than worship and adore him, his creatures had him arrested and put on trial and surrounded him with false witnesses, lies, and false testimony. But that phrase, God on trial, is also chosen because it's an apt description of what's going on in our world. God is on trial. The God of the Bible and his son, and his word, and his people are on trial before the world in the court of public opinion. 
are being accused, being judged. But will the verdict be a true and right verdict? Or as was in the case of Jesus' trial before the high priest, will it be largely based on lies and false testimony? The parallels are kind of striking. You can tell when Jesus was on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest, that this trial was not a genuine trial in the sense that it was a, a search for justice and the, the real facts of the case, whether Jesus had really broken any laws, man's laws or God's laws, that was not the case at all. The people who were in charge of this trial were not looking for justice, they were looking for a conviction. They had already made up their minds long before that was the whole reason this trial was taking place, that for years now they had been looking for a way to, to put Jesus to death. They were not looking for the truth about any of this. This was a kangaroo court, a show trial. And, and that's why the witnesses that were at the trial were not genuine witnesses. They were paid and hired liars, we were told. People who were there just for the purpose of telling lies to try to come up with a guilty verdict. The only thing apparently that resembled a true testimony was when some people got up and said, well, we, we did hear Jesus say that, that he was going to destroy the temple of God and then rebuild it again in, in three days. But even that quote from Jesus was misconstrued and twisted as if Jesus were making some sort of terrorist threat against the house of God rather than what he was really doing was prophesying about his resurrection from the dead. And don't think that we can maybe let those accusers off the hook and say, well, maybe they just didn't understand what Jesus was saying. That's actually not the case because we find out in the very next chapter in, in Matthew 27 that after Jesus had died on the cross, those same chief priests and leaders went to Pontius Pilate and said, uh, can we please have a guard at least till the third day because we remember that this liar said that he was going to rise from the dead on the third day. All hypocrisy, all lies, all false testimony. But as distressing as that is, maybe what's more distressing, of course, is when we hear the false testimony about Jesus that was being given, not by his enemies who hated him, but, but by one of his own friends, his disciple Peter. Because at the same time that, that liars were spreading lies about Jesus, Peter was telling his own lie when he said, well, I don't really know that man Jesus of Nazareth. I don't have a relationship with him. And just as Jesus was being placed under oath by the high priest and demanded to tell if he was the Messiah, Peter was placing himself under oath and then turning right around and breaking that oath, cursing and swearing and saying, I don't even know this man Jesus at all. And this is Peter. Peter, who, who certainly knew better. Peter, who once had walked on water, briefly, right? But, but he had, for a moment, walking out on the water, off the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Peter, who had boldly confessed his faith, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, now playing the coward. Now, we, we shouldn't act as if Peter was afraid of nothing at all. Yes, it seemed like these were just servant girls and bystanders who were asking him these questions, but it was clear in Matthew's Gospel there were guards around 
entirely possible Peter could have been reported. Peter could have had to suffer consequences for confessing his faith. But it really doesn't matter, does it? That in that crucial moment, Peter, when called upon to give testimony about Jesus, gave false testimony. As I said earlier, it seems like the parallels to today are kind of striking. It's one thing for us to hear the world telling lies about Jesus. It probably doesn't even surprise us anymore. We know Jesus said it was going to be that way. But even though it doesn't shock us, that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt us and bother us when we hear lies being spoken about Jesus. Seemingly every year books are being written which declare that Christianity is, is not just you know, factually wrong or incorrect or something like that, but, but going much further than that, saying that, that our faith, our religion is, is actually evil, it causes harm, that, that believing in Jesus and his word of the Bible is a, a recipe for, oh, you name it, right, subjugation of women or, or hatred or discrimination or bigotry or social unrest or any number of other evils, scientific ignorance, right? And yet in the end, all of these statements are nothing but lies. How could they be otherwise? How could the God who gives us every good and wonderful gift that we enjoy turn around and give us a, a message that's going to hurt people? How could the God who sent his son to die for every single sin of every single sinner without any distinction or discrimination, now be accused of, of giving a message that shows bias or prejudice? How could the God who in his infinite wisdom created the heavens and the earth, designed all life, including yours and mine, now be accused of having a word that spreads ignorance? How can these things be said? Only when God's word is being twisted and misunderstood, just as it was at Jesus' trial long ago. And also, just as that it was at that original trial, I think in a lot of cases, these things, these lies that people speak are, are not even spoken sincerely in the first place. It's not that there's a, a real and genuine attempt being made to evaluate Jesus and his word. Rather, it's just as it was in the case of those chief priests, people who see Jesus and his word as a threat to them, who see that his word is designed to, to limit their plans and intentions, that his word judges their, their evil thoughts and their greed and their lust and their self-centeredness. And not wanting to have that kind of threat, the solution is the same Get rid of Jesus, as it was long ago. But as sad as it is to see lies being spoken about Jesus in this world where God is on trial, maybe what bothers us more is when lies are spoken about Jesus by those who, like Peter, ought to know better. By the church on earth. When sometimes the Christian church, in part anyway, will start adopting and imitating some of those lies of the world and, and start proclaiming them as truth, well, that's an even greater tragedy on the scale of, of Peter denying Jesus. 
season of Lent, maybe for you and me that's not the most important thing. Yes, it may be true that Jesus is being lied about in the world, and yes, it may well be true that sometimes this happens even within the church, but the more important question for you and me tonight is what about us? What about you? What about your testimony about Jesus? What things have you been willing to say, and, and what things maybe have you been afraid to say? And what is it that makes you afraid to say it? Are you like Peter? Can we say that, that we have the excuse that Peter had, that if we speak up about Jesus, that we're facing potential arrest and imprisonment and, and possibly even death? I don't think we have that excuse. It wasn't a good excuse for Peter anyway, but I don't think that we can say that. Not yet, anyway. Not here. In other places, certainly. Absolutely. But, but here and in our day and age, I don't think we can say that that would probably happen to us if we spoke our truth of our faith. But that doesn't mean that we have absolutely nothing that we're facing that might make us afraid. We might be dealing with Loss of a friendship. We speak God's full truth. That's not nothing. Being singled out, being judged and looked down upon, those aren't insignificant things either. Our danger probably isn't on the scale of what kind of danger Peter was facing long ago, but we certainly can't say that giving the true testimony about Jesus will cost us nothing. But it does force us to ask the question, if it's a scary thing sometimes to associate yourself with Jesus and his word, isn't it or shouldn't it be a whole lot scarier thing for us to not be associated with Jesus? If the thought of suffering something for Jesus now for a limited time on earth is a, a fearful thought, shouldn't it be a whole lot more Fearful thought to suffer without Jesus for all eternity. In a moment of, of pressure and a, a tough moment, we might think that we're better off not being counted as a disciple of Jesus, but on the day that he comes again on the clouds to judge the living and the dead, are we going to be wanting to be counted as not the disciples of Jesus? God is on trial. Jesus is on trial, not only long ago, but also in our world today. And false testimony about him is everywhere. It's out there in the world. It may be out there in the church. And worst of all, it may even sometimes be coming from us. But all is not lost. Because in the middle of all of that false testimony, there's still one place where the truth the true testimony about Jesus can be found. And of course, it comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. You said it, Jesus said to the high priest, I am 
both the Messiah and the Son of God. I am the fulfillment of all of those prophecies of the Old Testament. I am the Son of David. I am Israel's promised true King of Kings. I am the true shepherd of God's people. I am the perfect servant of righteousness. And all of you should know that, Jesus was saying in effect. Because all of my teaching has been done out in the open and public for the last three years. And in spite of that, you haven't been able to find a single flaw, a single fault or sin in anything I've said or taught. That's why you had to bring all of these lying false witnesses here to this trial to accuse me. And even more than that, you've seen the miracles that I've performed again for years now, proving over and over again that I have the authority and the right to teach all of these things. And you know that never have I done these miracles to benefit myself for my own personal self-gratification or something like that, but always in love to help others. In everything I have done, in everything I have taught, I have brought perfect honor and glory to the God of the Bible, who is my own true Father, and I am his one and only Son. It didn't matter that that testimony was going to cost him his life. Jesus knew that, of course. But that wasn't going to stop him from saying it. It was the truth. And, of course, that was the whole point, his speaking the truth, so that by that truth and in that truth he would complete his work and suffer and die for us. And even when he said all these things, Jesus didn't say them in that moment out of spite or malice or something like that, as if he were saying, yeah, well, you guys may crucify me now, but just wait, I'll come back, and then you'll get what's coming to you. No, there was none of that. Even then, these words were spoken in love, in the hope that at least some of those who were there at his trial might, might change their thinking, might repent of their sins before it was too late, before he would come back in power and glory to raise them from the dead on the day he would judge all people. In a world full of lies and false testimony, Jesus still speaks the truth. And Jesus still makes sure that that truth is not silenced. He preserves his word. He makes sure that all of the lies and false testimony of the world are unable to destroy it, are unable to drown it out, so that people, even now in this world, can still hear his truth as he's recorded it for us in his word. And in that word and with that truth, he calls all sinners to repent. All of us. Those who have hated him and rejected him, those who have loved in him, loved him and believed in him, yes, even those who, like Peter, have denied him, will find grace and mercy in his cross, can find forgiveness in his blood, can find opportunities every day to live in righteousness, to serve him as his children. There's that little detail in the story of Peter's denials that's maybe worth thinking about for a moment. It was between the second and third of those, right, when Peter had gone out a little further out in that gateway area, and some of the people who had heard some of this conversation came up to Peter and said, man, we know you're lying, right? <coughs> and how did they know? It was Peter's Galilean twang, right, that marked him as not a local from there in Jerusalem, but from up there near that area where
Jesus of Nazareth had come from, and, and if he was there to watch his trial, probably he was one who had come down with him from Galilee. Your accent gives you away, they said, and of course, they were right. But friends, the same thing might sometime happen to you. Your accent might give you away. And of course, I'm not talking about the, the physical accent, I'm, I'm talking about your spiritual accent, that the words you speak because of your faith in Jesus might give you away as Jesus' follower, someone who's been spending time with Jesus. And if that happens, that would be a, a very, very good thing for people to know by the, the way that you speak, by the things that you say, by the words that you are not willing to say, by the way that you're willing to forgive and show concern even for people who have hurt you, who have been unkind to you, the, the way you express hope and confidence and trust in God. If people can tell by those things that you say, your spiritual accent, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that would be a wonderful thing. Peter, it seems, was kind of caught off guard by these questions about him. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be caught off guard if, if people ask you the question about why you speak and live the way you do. But then remember Jesus. Don't be afraid. Remember how he was willing to speak the truth at any cost in order to be your Savior. He has removed all of your guilt. You have nothing to be ashamed of as long as you have him, especially not your faith in him as your Savior. You have nothing to truly fear. And so in a world where God is on trial, Jesus and his word always speak the truth. And so if you, like Peter, are called upon to give a testimony about Jesus and your relationship with him, and, and you can expect that you will, Jesus says, let your testimony always be true. Always giving honor to Jesus as your Savior. Always being faithful to the truth. His saving word to you. Amen. The peace of our God that surpasses all understanding will keep and guard your hearts and your minds in that one true faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.